We're in 3 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 14, and I titled this, Beware of Power Grabbers. And we're going to be talking about a Diotrephes who wants to steal the preeminence and steal the forefront and that sort of thing. Could have called this, Beware of Cult Leaders. Beware of anybody that wants to take people down the primrose path of destruction. Beware. Beware of power grabbers. If you would, stand for reading of the Word of God. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when, when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth his name, for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, pratting against, against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness and you, that, and you know that our testimony is true. I had many things to write, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Beware of power grabbers. Power grabbers who seek the preeminence. Seek the first place. As you know, this is written by John. This is his third epistle, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He also wrote the book, Gospel of John, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. So he is a credible, very important person in, the, in church history. He is actually the one that, that, Jesus, that, that claimed he was the, he was the main one in, in, in the herd, that God loved, Jesus loved him better than anybody else. Uh, but anyway, he, he had a lot of authority and a lot of power and a lot of prestige. Didn't go to his head, but Diotrephes rejected him. It's kind of interesting how that happened. So the author and date, of course, the elder is John, written in about AD 90 to 95. He wrote it just after 2 John, probably from Ephesus. And it's, a, it's the most personal. His, his, his gospel is written globally to a global church. Uh, his, 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 his first epistle was written to a, a larger group. His second epistle, John chapter 2, was written to a lady, so it's getting more specific. And now it is written in 3 John to Gaius, a specific person, a specific person. And the issue is, in the community, in 2 John, they were welcoming people that shouldn't have been welcomed, the false teachers. And so the lady was, was kind of uh, encouraged not to become discouraged because other people were criticizing her for, welcoming, for not welcoming the itinerant preachers that were false teachers. So John is praising her for not welcoming them. That was the appropriate thing to do. It is the reverse in John chapter, first John chapter, third John chapter one, in that we are to welcome those who have a true word and be hospitable to them. So that is what's going on here. So the three characters in this play are Gaius, 
He's the faithful servant who gets the letter. Demetrius, he's a faithful servant who delivers the letter. And Diotrephes, boo, he's the bad guy. He's the power grabber. He's the guy that wants the preeminence. So those are the three characters. Now, I want you to think about something. Think about Diotrephes. Think about power grabbers. And if you've been in any church or any organization, it doesn't have to be a church, there's always someone that's trying to get the preeminence. Someone is trying to get the top spot. And recall how God has structured his church, and this is so important. This is so important. Who is the head of the church? And I hope you can answer that question right out. It is Jesus Christ as the head of the church. It is not a human being. It is not a human being. This is not Rick's church. This is not Chuck Swindoll's church. This is not John MacArthur's church or whatever title, whatever the church they're running. It is the church of Jesus Christ. He is the head of the church, not a human. Not a human. In Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body, the church. It says a similar thing in Ephesians 1.22. Jesus is the head. There's no pastor. There's no pope. There's no bishop. There's no rich guy that has control of the board. That happens sometimes. No, it is Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and that's what we want to emphasize. In Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 20 through 22, it really lays this out, and we've been here many times, and so you'll be quite familiar with these words. It says this, having been built, the household of God is the, t- is the subject here, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. Now remember the cornerstone is the stone that stabilized the building, that squared the building. He is the most important part of the foundation. Let me ask you this, how many times is a foundation laid? Once, once, so it has to be a solid foundation in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That is us being fitted in to the body, in whom you also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. God dwells with us. His Spirit dwells within us. In the Old Testament, remember, the Spirit of God shikened, shikened, dwelt with, tabernacled with his people in in the tabernacle or in the temple. But now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells within us. He shikens. He he occupies us as the temple of God. So that's an important thing to remember. Now, apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. But I want you to think about something. There's a problem today that is arising in the church. And if you're not really astute, you're not going to catch this. It's called the New Apostolic Reformation. And the New Apostolic Reformation claims that there are now apostles and prophets being raised up again like they were in the past. Now, these are power positions. These are preeminence positions. And this would be false, that God is doing a new thing. Now, who has God raised up to thwart the power grabbers? Well, I can tell you who he's raised up. He's raised up elders within the church. Elders within the church. And remember, it's always a plurality of elders to lead and protect his church. This thwarts power grabbers, and this also prevents one person from trying to be preeminent, being preeminent. Many seek power. Many seek prestige and position. Many want control and authority. Many, many, many diatrophies are out there. And I'll tell you, diatrophies would have bought into this movement because he wants to be an apostle. He would like to be one of the prophets. He would be one of, the, would be one of the, those people that are noticed and seen. But that's not the way Jesus structured his church. So to protect against power grabbers, God has raised up in his church elders, a plurality. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see the qualifications of elders. 
And these are all character qualifications. You want to have elders that are meet the biblical standard for eldership. Not there's a position to be filled, so we need to grab somebody to fill the spot on the board. The other thing you don't want are yes men on the board. People are just going to nod and say, yes, that's what, yeah, we're going to go right along with that, yeah. No, you don't want that. You want people to come in with biblical knowledge and be able to challenge whatever is going on and have the courage to stand up for the truth. Character qualities. In Titus 1.5, we see that there's a plurality of elders. It's repeated again in 1 Peter 5.1, a plurality. Now, again, why a plurality? A plurality of elders protects against the one-man preeminent show. And look, we are depraved people. And it is so easy for someone to try to steal the spotlight, steal the position, get the glory on themselves. A plurality of elders stops it. Look, if I go off the wires here, I have elders and I have deacons on the team that say, really, men? And that's their job. See, we want elders that are going to be watching, watching for the health of the body. Not yes people, doing whatever Rick wants them to do, whoever the chief person thinks they are. No, you want, you want to have somebody that's going to stand against. So it protects the body. And remember, only Jesus is preeminent in any church. Not a person. Not a person. Protects against the cults, folks. Beware of those who want to be first. Now this week, John the Elder, the last remaining apostle, deals with diatrophies. And I, I want to submit to you, that diatrophies must be dealt with within a church for a church to be healthy. Must be. So as we start our teaching today, beware of power grabbers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Lord, we thank you that this is the true word of God, a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It is what we can build our lives on. It speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't worship the word, we worship the one that speaks about our Lord and Savior Jesus from beginning to end. Open our eyes to the truth today, what you want us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. So, verses 1 through 4, walking in truth towards the power grabbers, the elder, that would be John, to the beloved Gaius, the hero, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Now, the question that you heard this walking in the truth here, what, the question is this, what is walking in the truth? What in the world does that actually mean? Well, I think it means obeying what Scripture teaches, obeying what Jesus commanded, that sort of thing. It's a life that points to Christ and away from, look, if my life is pointing at Jesus, and that is my goal to be conformed to the likeness of Christ, it's going to be pointed away from me, myself, and I. He's the one that is preeminent, not myself. So, real servants don't seek the limelight. They're hospitable, welcoming, and warm, particularly to visitors. Remember, these are visitors that are coming into the community that wanted to preach the gospel, preach the word. And they were to be welcomed. They were to be welcomed if they were true. And in 2 John, if they were false, they were to be rejected. Don't give them hospitality. Don't give it to them. So now the question is, who is Gaius? Well, they didn't know much about Gaius until I did a little research on Gaius. He's a seasoned vet proven in the trenches with Paul. 
proven in the trenches. And you know what he was? He was faithful and he was hospitable. Faithful and hospitable. He was a Gentile. Zadiades in his Greek text says this. He, he originally was from Macedonia, which is Greece. He was one of Paul's companions who was, who was caught during the riot in Ephesus. So he was in all kinds of tumult with Paul. He was among those who occupied Paul to Jerusalem, to, in the big Jerusalem debate uh, representing Derby. He was baptized by Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.14. And uh, so John is commending Gaius for his great hospitality and his faithfulness. Hospitality and his faithfulness. Now, I want to explore something with you. In verse number 2, many times is taken out of context to mean, and people try to make it mean what it doesn't mean. Let me show you. The prosperity folks use this. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things. Oh, see, God wants us to prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. I have no problem with prospering and being in health, but I have a huge pro problem with, with that being the fo whole focus, the whole focus, the whole focus of someone's life. It is not to be focused on this level. We are to be more focused upward than horizontal. That's just number one. But anyway, so some misapply this verse to validate the health and wealth teaching. John is praying for Gaius' material and physical health. Nothing wrong with that. Actually, that is a proper thing to do. But, but more than that, that it would match his spiritual vigor. As your soul prospers. As your soul prospers. Now, this word prosper doesn't mean what the world thinks with money. That's usually what, it, that's usually what the, the emphasis is on. But that actually means this. It means to have a good, safe journey. To have success in life. And it does not mean that, that is, money is involved. Look, money can't buy you peace. Money can't buy you contentment. Money can't buy you love. Money can't buy you that. No. So that you would prosper and be in physical health. And your physical health would match your spiritual health. Now, please note this. And again, let me emphasize this. It's okay to pray that your material needs are met and your physical needs are met. That is very appropriate. Lord, give me health. Help me to be able to, to, to you give to me so I can give to, to whatever the needs are. But the important thing is that your soul prospers, that your soul is healthy. Remember, what is your soul? Your thoughts, feelings, emotions, that sort of thing, that I am a healthy person. I want you to do some introspection at this time. Look at your life. Look at yourself for just a moment. What would you look like if your physical health mirrored your soul health? Kind of an interesting question. No one has to answer that question out loud. But I'll help you with this. Would you be Hercules? Would you be Superman? Would you be Wonder Woman? Or would you be Minnie Mouse? Mickey Mouse. You ever see Mickey Mouse's arms? They're this big. I mean, a little teeny arm. He's got no arms on him. Okay. Yeah. He would be shriveled. Look at The important thing is, how is your soul's health proven? How is your soul's health proven? By your life walk. And what do I mean by your life walk? The way you're living your life. What your life encompasses. Are you getting all the information in your world that determines your worldview? Are you watching CNN all day long? Are you watching Hollywood and seeing what they're thinking? Isn't it amazing how often they, this is what this actress says. This is what this actor says. And oh, like, we should buy into all that. As a matter of fact, when they say something, I just go right the other way. About Facebook. 
boom, go the other way. So are you walking in the truth? And remember, you know you're walking in the truth. Remember, Jesus said, thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. Are we following the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we obeying the truth? Are we obeying the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth? If your soul prospers, Jesus will be number one. Are you following the master all out? That's the question for each one of us. We're living in an epoch of time. This is not time for toe-in Christianity. Remember, we talk about this over and over. This is not toe-in Christianity. This is all-in time. You must be all-in if you're going to survive this mess that we're going into. Follow the master all-in. If so, then your soul will prosper, and you will be not seeking the preeminence. Now, I want to share with you something uh, that is very... Uh, noted by most people in Christianity. It's part of the four spiritual laws, and you'll see this in just a second. Let me ask you this question. Is it hard to knock yourself off the throne of your life? And can you knock yourself off the throne of your life, or does it take a supernatural intervention of God? And I would suggest it takes a supernatural intervention of God to save you, to get you off the throne of your life. I want to share with you, who is on the throne of your life? And There's going to be a picture here. It comes up. Again, this is a very common picture. This is not a very good picture, but you're going to get the idea. We must receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord by personal invitation. Look, at this is, a, this is the shin, actually. This is from a Hebrew website. But this is the Messiah. This is Jesus outside of your life. This is you running your life. This is before you're saved. And guess what's happening to your life down here? Misery. Usually, there's some sort of misery, some sort of uneasiness, some unpleasantness that's going on in your life. You receive Jesus as your Savior. He takes over the throne of your life. You are on the outskirts here. You're saved. He is running the show. That is the goal. Now, does that always happen? So you can be saved. You can be saved. We're going to see a slide here in a little bit that's going to show you that you can be saved, but you can jump right back on that throne and put Jesus down here. We'll talk about that more in just a second. But who is on the throne of your life? Who is really running your life? Who is really doing that? Is it Christ or is it you? Careful, careful with you usurping Christ's position on the throne. Grabbing that power back. Oh no, that's discipline time. <laughs> if you've ever been there. So, beware of power grabbers, even you trying to regather the power of being on the throne of your own life. Uh -uh. We give it to Christ. He has the right to run our lives. He's in charge. Verses 5 through 8, evidence that you are not a power grabber like Gaius. Now watch some of these characteristics. See if you can identify any in yourself. Beloved, you do faithfully, faithfully, whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers and who have borne witness of your love before the church, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well, because they went forth in his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Let's develop this just a little bit. The evidence that I is not on the throne, that I'm not running the show of my life. Number one, faithfulness. Faithfulness. Am I faithful to the Word of God and what it teaches? That's a, that's a gen genuine question. That's legitimate. Uh, faithfulness means trustworthy. 
Now, how does trustworthiness look? Let's hear this. I can be relied on to do what I said I will do. That's, that's number one. Secondly, I will do what I say without procrastinating. You know, procrastination is a huge problem. I'll get to that. I'll get to that. And by the way, I think I'll get to that, and you don't get to that. Yeah, don't put it off. And you keep your commitments, you keep your commitments even when you don't feel like it, especially when you don't feel like it. Look at it. When you go to work, it is a miracle now to hire someone that will come to work five straight days and be on time and actually do their job without going to the bathroom 25 times during the day to read their text or whatever they're doing, go to Facebook. You know, it's a miracle to find that person. Look, you can be counted on even when you don't feel like it. Look, this is, if, if you do these things, if you're really faithful, Jesus is on the throne. You're not presuming on somebody else. Hospitality. You do for the brethren. You do for strangers. It's not self-focused. Now, how does this look? Look, this is involved. I'm getting involved in somebody else's life. It's, people oftentimes want to be safe. I want to be safe, and if I don't get involved, I'm, I'm safe. I'll never be hurt then. But then you'll never know the joy of helping someone through a mess. you never know the joy of, of, of really being involved in somebody's life and encouraging them and see them come out the other end. Get involved. Get involved. Hospitality. Involvement. Do for the brethren and strangers. It's an open house. It's an open life policy. Look at the hospitality that was shown in 3 John was for the true teachers that were coming to town. Open your home to these people. Uh, so hospitality is another thing. It's an evidence that you're not a power grabber. Generosity. Send them forward in a manner worthy of God. We support the missionaries. We support those that have a need. Now, I want you to hear this. This is one of the most difficult thrones to dis displace the eye from, and that's the pocketbook. That's the generosity throne. It's the it's mine throne. It's mine. It belongs to me. And we've talked about stewardship before. We have an open hands policy with God. Okay, involvement. Receive such, get involved with true teachers. Involvement, get involved. Support, support, support. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40 through 42 says this. Some go, okay, some go, some support the goers, and some are both are rewarded. Matthew chapter 10, verse 40 through 42 says this. This is kind of encouraging. Because you don't have to go to Timbuktu. See, if God puts that on somebody's heart, they, that's, that's the most important thing to them. So many people say, oh, I don't want my kids to be, become Christians because God might call them to be a missionary. And, oh, no, if they have to go to Africa. But they, but they get called to Africa. There's nothing more important in their life than to go to Africa or to go to Iraq or go to China or wherever it might be. God puts it on your heart. But there's a benefit from this. Verse, chapter 10, verse 40. He who receives you receives me, and who receives me receives you who sent me. That's the Father. He who receives a prophet in the name of the prophet will receive a prophet's reward. That's a, that's a reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only, only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means 
lose his reward. You get the same benefits in God's eyes as the person actually going by you supporting. That's what he's saying here. Get involved at some level. Hold loosely. Hold loosely. Look at this is all transient. This is all passing. Hold loosely to your stuff. It's not yours. You're simply a steward of God's property. We are caretakers who will give an account one day to the master on how we took care of his stuff. It's not our stuff. It's his stuff. Stewards, verse 8, our fellow workers for the truth. We're on the same team. We're on God's team. A person seeking the preeminence is on their own team, the my team, and they hold tightly to what they have. We want to be on God's team, the winning team. When we finally realize it's not mine, that I'm simply managing God's stuff, you know that Jesus is on the throne. You have been displaced, thankfully. I never want to get back in that position of trying to be controlling my life. Jesus is on the throne of my life. Power grabbers. Verse 9 through 11. The epitome of power grabbers. Diotrephes, a power grabber. You know his name actually means nurtured by Zeus. Nurtured by the god Zeus. Verse 9 through 11. I wrote to the church about Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them. Now, this was a letter that was written that Diotrephes just threw out. Threw out. I'm not going to receive it from the Apostle John. Can you imagine? The hubris, the arrogance there. Who loves to have the preeminence among them. Does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Oh, you don't go along with me, excommunicate you. That's what he's saying here, excommunicate you. When you think of diatrophies, when you think about people like this, I is definitely firmly enthroned, firmly enthroned. Now, what is behind one seeking the preeminence? What is behind someone seeking the power? What is, someone, what is behind someone wanting to be noticed? And I think you probably have an answer to that. And the answer is pride. I am more important than anybody or anything. Self-seekers, glory hounds, root is pride, all about me. I is enthroned. And guess who hates pride? God hates pride. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. Well, one of the places he says that it is in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. Let me read this to you. These six things the Lord hates. The Lord hates. And the first one right out of the chute is a proud look, the focus on myself. But I would suggest to you all of these have to do with pride. A lying tongue, focusing on myself. Hands that shed innocent blood. I'm more important than anybody else. I'll murder them. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Again, I. Feet that are swift to run to evil. I. A false witness who speaks lies. I is central. I is central. Pride is at the root of the power grabbers. Pride is always centered around myself. And again, this can happen to anybody. This can happen to you. A grounded Christian person. This can happen to you. It can seep into us. When a believer walks in pride, 
they removed Jesus from the throne of their lives. And I would suggest to you this might happen to us many times during the day. I get up, I do my Bible study, everything is great with God, Jesus is on the throne, I get out into the world, and all of a sudden, who leaps up? Who does a giant step? Me, myself, and I, and I'm starting to rule my stuff again. This can be very dangerous and can lead to all kinds of legalistic attitudes, jealousy, guilt, worry, frustration. Leave Jesus on the throne. Don't you want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness? That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what we want. It only happens if he's on the throne and he's leading, the, leading us, not us usurping that position. Again, this can happen to us, and I would suggest it happens to every one of us more frequent than we would like to admit. More frequent than we like to admit. You get short with somebody on the freeway, guess who's not on the throne? It's not Jesus. When that truck driver gets in front of me going 66, passing the guy going 65.5, not realizing that I'm important and I'm in a hurry and you're in my way. I have leaped right up here. And that's not just that. It could be the movies you watch, the people you hang out with. It could be the attitude that you might have with your spouse or your friends. Any, anything can cause a shift. And the thing that you want to do is realize it and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And aren't we thankful for 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. The instant you do that, Jesus is back in his right spot. And I realize, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm so, I did it again. I leaped up where I shouldn't have leapt. So just, just a thought. Now, thinking about this, thinking about this, the greatest example in Scripture that we have of someone that was eye-focused, you know his name, his name would be Satan. And we see in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, the following. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. And I want to suggest to you, whenever you leap onto the throne, it's always looked at as a falling for you. How you were cut down to the ground, power grabber, you who weaken the nations, for you have said in your heart, it always happens, it happens in our hearts, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, oh watch, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, I'm going to rule just like you God, on the far of the sides of the earth, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the Most High. I want to be worshipped like you are, God. I want the preeminence like you have. But watch what happens. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, that's the grave, to the lowest depths of the pits. Look, when we try to get the, the, the preeminence, that's what ultimately happens to us. It's always a fall. It's always a mess. And just remember, when, you, when you've done something that makes you out of sorts with God, confess it. Own it. Don't blame somebody else. If my wife wasn't so mean to me this morning, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have yelled at her. I wouldn't have screamed. If my kids wouldn't, you know, we, we just, we point. It's in our blood. It happened right in the garden. The woman you gave me. The woman you gave me, she made me do this. No, own it. Own it and move on. That is, the, that is the point. So, Diotrephes is an example of I ruling myself. Diotrephes, the dictator, can ruin a church. 
Why? Because he refuses any appeal to examine what he's talking about, his beliefs. He refuses to receive the truth. He wants no one to confront his wrong and rejects all who hold him to account. That's Diotrephes. Sounds a lot like who? Sounds a lot like Satan, doesn't it? No account, don't hold me to account. For a church's health, Diotrephes must be confronted. Must be confronted. And I will suggest to you this is not an easy undertaking. This takes courage. This won't be easy because they usually have strong personalities and they usually have gathered around them a, a cauldron of people that support that strong personality. But they still, they must, be, they must be confronted. That's why you need a plurality of elders, a group of people confronting this. It takes courage. John says this in verse 10. I will call to mind his deeds. I will face this head on. Diatrophes had to answer for his behavior. He was going to be exposed. There was going to be no cover-up on this. He was going to be exposed. Ephesians 5.11 says this, Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. We have a responsibility to do that, particularly as leaders. John the Apostle had the, had, had the maximum influence in this whole Christendom at that time. He was the last living apostle, the last one. All the rest of them had died. Yet Diotrephes is saying, we don't want you. Don't want your letter. Don't want anything that you have to say to me. Diotrephes was a bully. And now he's going to be confronted. And can you imagine how he feels when John says, I'm coming? It's like, uh-oh, you know, big brother's coming. Big brother's, big brother's going to stand up for Gaius and going to stand up for Demetrius, going to stand up for that body. There had to be a sense of foreboding for Diotrephes. And I want you to notice this. Diotrephes was not criticized for his doctrine, but for his controlling conduct, his power trip. And how many ministers do you see that have power trips? And let me just suggest to you, how often do you see people that have their names, so-and-so ministry? Who is the preeminent one there? Just think about it. Jesus is to be number one. He is to be in first place, not a human. Diotrephes was guilty of four things. We saw it in the text. Pratting, which is nonsense babbling, talking nonsense. Proverbs 18.2 says this, A fool has no delight in understanding but expressing his own thoughts, his own opinions. I don't want to understand. I just express my thoughts, my opinions. Malicious words. Not only were his words false, but they were vicious and evil. He does not receive the brothers. He rejected those with the teachings of Christ. There would be no competing word coming into that community. He wanted all the preeminence. And then he put them out if they didn't agree with them. Excommunicated with them. Power, power, control, control. That was his goal. He wanted to have first place in everything. In verse 11, we see this. John's plea to those under Diotrephes' influence was this. Don't be like him. Do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says this. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Do not. Do not, even though it's easier to not get involved, do not ignore a diatrophies. They must be exposed. 
It's the very reason for a plurality of elders, not a one-man rule, a plurality. We must expose a, 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 a diatrophies. Now, Demetrius, he's a good guy. Yay, we got a good guy in here. Demetrius, he had a message of hope, verse 12. Demetrius has a good testimony from all and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. For these bullied people, Demetrius was a fresh breath of fresh air. Demetrius probably hand-carried the letter to Gaius to be read before the body, a letter of hope, right in front of Diotrephes. Can you imagine? Demetrius has to have, he has to have courage. He has to have chutzpah. He has to have guts to do this. But I think he gave the letter, excuse me, gave the letter to Gaius. Gaius would read the letter before the congregation. Both of them probably were there together for support. But he must, Demetrius must have been known to the body. He must have been a welcome sight. He had a good testimony. He had a good personal testimony. He walked into truth, and he was associated with a, with a great witness to this group of people. Everyone recognized him. He was credible. He was credible. Others saw his character. And finally, John's farewell is in verse 13 and 14, until we meet again. Verse 13 and 14, until we meet again. I had many things to write to you, but I do not wish to write to you with pen and ink. Same, almost the same ending as he had in 2 John. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you, and greet the friends by name. Greet those true teachers by name. You know who the true teachers are. Greet them by name. Just a few thoughts. John's plan to visit was to deal with the issue face-to-face. -face. And we said this last time, last week, it's always the best communication face-to-face. -face. Not Facebook-to-Facebook. -Facebook. Not text-to-text, -text, or even worse, tweet-to-tweet. Face-to-face. That's the best communication. That way you see body language. You see, you see tones and in, 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 in words and that sort of thing. Face-to-face. -face. Although that's the most uncomfortable. That's the most uncomfortable. It's easy to tweet. It's easy to Facebook something condemning because you're not face-to-face. -face. It's much more difficult face-to-face. -face. Make your communication face-to-face -face as much as possible. And then John wishes peace upon them, something Gaius and the church needed. John sends greetings from friends. And you, when you are in a difficult situation, don't you need friends? Don't you need someone to bump up against you and say, you're okay? You're in this toxic environment, but yet you're okay. Don't, be, don't buy into this guy. Isn't it nice to know that friends weep with those that weep and rejoice with those that rejoice? We need that. We need friends. John is coming. Like in 2 John, face to face. No more writing. No more looking gets looking done, thinking gets thinking done. Uh -uh. We're going to go face to face with this thing. In conclusion. Be aware of power grabbers, and Diotrephes certainly was a power grabber. Power grabbers come in many shapes and sizes. Sometimes it's cloaked. Sometimes it's hidden. They're not as obvious as at other times. And it happens in the church, but it also happens in all parts of our lives. You've seen them in the workplace. You've seen them in your families. People that want the preeminence. They're non-Christian power grabbers. They, they want to influence. Uh, with a non-biblical worldview. 
We've said this many times, education, media, the government, everything's kind of pointing to you, dragging you away from a worldview that is a biblical worldview, and wanting you to embrace things that they think is okay. No, we don't want to do that. And it happens in the church, too. Church history is strewn with power grabbers. Diatrophes was such a man. Hear the words of Paul. We've shared this many times, but it is in Acts chapter 20, verse 29 through 31. And Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders. And this is just before he's going to Rome, just before he's going to die. And he tells them these truths. He tells them these truths. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. It's going to happen. Power grabbers are going to be coming in. That's the way Satan works. Always tries to slip them in. Not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves. Oh. From the elders, be careful. From among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. That's why we need a plurality of elders. Just because you're an elder doesn't mean that you have all knowledge. You have to have accountability within that group. Therefore, watch. That is our code word. Watch. Watch what they're saying. Watch how they live. And remember, for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Diotrephes was this. He was a prideful dictator. And the prevention for this is a plurality of elders. No one man has ultimate control. I don't know how many times I've said that, but when you leave here, that should be indelibly imprinted in our brains. Exclusive power, no accountability, re re refuse to receive John. Look, at when you want no accountability, you want no exclusive power, just write right across your, your memory cult. Just write cult right there. I want to be in charge, and you better listen to me, or there'll be some sort of threat. Methods used, strategies to maintain control, are intimidation. This guy did pratting and babbling, refused to receive the brethren, intimidation, excommunication. But many times in cults, it's you're not going to heaven. You're on the wrong path. And because you don't know the right path, you're believing that person you have a responsibility. Know the right path. More on that in just a second. And Diotrephes is an example of one who spurns God's rule, does not accept Jesus as the head of the church, uses intimidation to deal with opposition, and is accountable to no one. Now the question is this. Ask yourself this. Why would anyone follow such a man? Why does any person get involved in any type of cult? How do they get sucked into this stuff? I have a couple thoughts. First of all, Diatrophes' motives are often cloaked. And they're cloaked in this one single thing. I care for you. It's a caring attitude. It's an embracing attitude. It's a loving attitude. That's usually what gets the hook in. Gets the hook in. Acceptance, community, the false feeling of being loved. How did Jim Jones get to where he was? How did David Koresh get to where he was? How did Sung Young Moon get to where he was? How do all of these cult leaders, same methodology. I have the way. I am the leader. I have heard from God. Zero accountability. Zero. I am king, and you must hear me. And as you get more immersed into it, you become controlled by it. Very dangerous. Your protection, and you know what it is, 
99% of people in this room know what your protection is, and that is to be a Berean. A Berean. You have the responsibility to search the Scriptures daily for truth. If I say something that is off the wall, what happens to me? You know, I, I get bombarded all over the place, and that's good. There has to be accountability. My job is to rightly divide the word of truth as much as I can, as much as I can, understand it as much as I can to rightly divide the word of truth. But you, as a Berean, have a responsibility too to make sure that what I'm saying is the truth or what anybody else is saying. Just don't buy into it because they're funny. They're a great speaker. Oh, they have a great crowd. Oh, that's huge in America. If you have a big crowd, oh, you can believe that guy. No. Search what they're saying. Search what they're saying. The Holy Spirit will alert you to lies. The Spirit of truth. Be in the Word of God. You might, again, you might not know exactly where it is, verse or chapter or verse or book, but you've read it enough that your Holy Spirit warning goes up. Whoa, something's off here. I better look at that. Yes, and take it seriously. The Holy Spirit is a, is a spirit of truth, and he will guide you in all truth, John 16, 13. Many times, people will hang on to a ministry or to a cult or whatever, a false teaching or something's off because family are there, friends are there. I've gone there my whole life. It's hard for me to leave this because I've been so immersed into it. Maybe it'll change later. When somebody else comes in, oh, be careful. Be careful. When you see the danger signs, you scoot on out of there. It's not about being comfortable. It's not about your comfort and you being at ease because everything is there that you want. They have all the programs. They have the programs that you want. It's not about that. The ultimate power grabber is soon to be revealed, and that will be the Antichrist. And I believe that we are living in that epoch of time. That epoch of time, we see things happening around us right now that are indicating the rise of an Antichrist that's going to come up and have all the answers to the world's problem. And people will fawn all over this guy who do not know the truth, who are not Bereans. People will believe his stuff. They'll believe the delusion. All under the guise of, I am here to help you follow me. He's the ultimate cult leader. He's the ultimate power grabber. Listen to what it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 11. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Now that is the Antichrist, the lawless one. With all power, signs, and lying wonders. He is going to mesmerize the world with the things he does. And with all unrighteous deception ah, among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. They weren't Bereans. They weren't searching the scriptures. They weren't saved. They were hooked in. They were caught. Be alert, Bereans. Be alert, Bereans. Be alert, brethren. We are living in a time of unprecedented deception. We have inputs that no other generation has had with the technology that we have. Every five seconds, you watch how much addicted we are to this. You're walking to your car. I'm walking to my car. I can't exclude myself from this. I'm as addicted as a 19-year-old as, as a or a 14-year-old. It happens. You've got to guard yourself. And we are getting inputs, inputs on a continual basis that are not the truth, that are not the truth, that are telling you about a worldview that is anti-God. 
the abortion issue, the gay rights issue, the gay marriage issue, the all world, the, the all roads lead to God issue. We're all worshiping the same God. Allah and Jehovah are the same. This is not true. This is not true. And but if we even simply stand up like Mike Pence, very courageously and very gently said, hey, I just don't believe this because I believe the Bible. You're a hater. You're a hater, Mike Prince, and at Taylor University. Some of the students had the arrogance, that's a Christian college, to stand up and walk out on, the, on his commencement speech because of what he believed the Bible taught about marriage. This is a Christian university. It has filtered down to everything. It has infiltrated churches. It has infiltrated our society. Folks, be a Berean. I plead with you. Don't be caught. Don't be trapped. Be alert. Folks, beware of power grabbers. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time to study your word. And as always, Lord, your word goes out and it accomplishes what you want it to accomplish. You are God. And your spirit speaks to each one of our hearts in a unique way. And you have spoken to each person here today. You have touched each one of us in an area that needed to be touched. So, Father, I pray right now that we will take seriously what you are saying to us. That we will not just be hearers, but doers of the word. That we will not walk out of here the same as we, the way we came in. But we'll be closer to you. We'll be better prepared. Better armed to face a world that is really running from you. And Lord, we have a message of hope. We have a message of truth. We have a message of love that Jesus loves us. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. And may we tell people we come in contact with about the amazing love of our Savior. Lord, do your work within each one of us. If someone here does not know you as their Savior, if they haven't said, yes, I receive you as my Savior, Jesus Christ, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. Lord, I pray right now that someone will just say, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. Come into the family of God. You made it so easy for us, Lord. You paid the price. You paid our sin debt. You took the beating. Oh, Lord, I pray if someone does not know you as Savior, they will say, yes, I believe Jesus died for me. I put my trust in you. I receive the free gift of eternal life that only Jesus can provide. Oh, Lord, do your work now in the hearts and minds of each one of us. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.